Oh, yes. We are finally back here on MLB Morning Coffee's 30 Teams in 30 Days. You're probably wondering, well, you didn't really keep your promise. I said 30 teams in 30 days. I didn't say which days. So it will be 30 teams in 30 days, just not 30 consecutive days. We are a production of the Athletes Unfiltered Podcast Network, and we are coming to you from the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. Today... We go to Kansas City, Missouri, where we are previewing the Kansas City Royals, and we are doing so with Ryland Stiles of the Lockdown Royals podcast. If you're a basketball fan and you like the Oklahoma City Thunder, you can also follow him at the Locked On Thunder podcast. Before we get going, actually, Ryland, something that I just thought of that's funny. Former, and granted for about 13 games, Thunder point guard Earl Watson is a friend of mine, and he lives in Kansas City. So that's a Royals and Thunder connection. Is a lifelong Royals fan that played like 13 games for the Thunder at the beginning of the 2008 season. Or was it more than that? Do you remember is, Earl Watson? He is a, yeah, he's a Thunder legend. He's a part of that original, original team, a part of that group that – really ushered in pro sports to Oklahoma and kind of made us a big league city. Yeah, he he gets a ton of credit for what he did for both Seattle or way, way over on in his, in his career and then Oklahoma city as well. I mean, he played about 60 games for Oklahoma city. I don't know why I thought it was only 13, but shout out to my guy, Earl Watson. I know that he listens to this show some points in time. So to start it off, Rylan, this is a Royals off season that we have not seen since they won the world series in 2015 or rather even an off season prior to 2014 when they made their first world series in quite some time, they've gone out, they've made moves. They locked up Hunter Dozier for a while. They signed Carlos Santana. They go and trade for Andrew Benintendi. This is a team that looks like they want to compete sooner than later. What was your overall reaction to a Royals offseason that probably isn't like any that you've seen in the last five to six years? Yeah, I think that the the feeling in Kansas City is a lot of hope and optimism, and it, it's a lot of great PR for this new ownership group. The Shermans have done a phenomenal job since they've taken over. They have paid their minor leaguers last year whenever everyone's cutting their pay. They've done what they've done this offseason with those signings and those trades. And the, the feeling around Kansas City is, look, we finally have a good ownership group where they're going to spend money. Can you imagine? That's the big phrase. Can you imagine this team, whenever they get good and have those expectations, what this ownership group will do if they're already trying to improve this team and trying to win with this team? What will happen in a few years when you have all these young prospects up? How much more aggressive will they be at that point? This offseason – has been really, really fun for, for Royals fans. And you can't say that very often about off seasons. What is your overall evaluation of Mike Matheny at this point? I know that everybody talks about his track record in St. Louis. He was a part of the Royals organization as an advisor before he was hired as the manager when Ned Yost retired. What are your thoughts on Mike Matheny at this point? And do you think he's the right long-term fit in Kansas City? I, I think these had a lot of growth. I, I will be the first to say that I did not like this hire at all. I'd rather have Pedro Grafal. I'd rather have a lot of other young names at the time. But he came in and he changed something that I didn't think was going to be possible for him. I thought he was going to still be that that typical. He's a backup catcher. He's kind of old school. But he's really embraced being this new modern manager. He's done the shifts. He's done bullpenning. He's done everything that you would think of in that sense. And also. He seems, at least on the outside, it's hard to tell this without being actually in the clubhouse, but it seems like he has much better relationships 
with his players than he did in St. Louis. The players seem to really respect him and really want to play for him, which is a knock that he had in St. Louis about losing that clubhouse. He by no means has ever had that question in Kansas City. The, the, the Royals fans, I mean, Royals players praise him left and right. I think that you've seen a guy really hit rock bottom and just like a player, he bounces back, he adjusts and he develops and managers can do that too. And I think that you've seen him really evaluate himself and reflect on himself from his St. Louis days. And you can really tell the difference is my biggest thing from talking to other Cardinal fans or media, that they see it too, that he's really taken the time to adjust his style and not just blamed it on the Cardinals or blamed it on, you know, the management didn't like him or whatever the case may be that he did it himself. And that's something that you can't say about a lot of managers. A lot of managers will get fired. They'll get their new job because they are that backup catcher. And then they'll just keep doing it the way that they've always done it. Matheny, you can tell, cares about his craft and, and cares about getting better. And I think that that will make him very successful. He does have a strong relationship with Dayton Moore, who just loves the guy. So I think that if he has even the most remote amount of success, then he will be in Kansas City for a long, long time. I want to talk a little bit about Dayton Moore. And we are here with Ryland Styles of the Lockdown Royals podcast here on MLB Morning Coffee's 30 Teams in 30 Days. I didn't actually tell you this before we got on the call, Ryland, but I'm a former former more bleh, former Royals minor league broadcaster. I was with the last edition of the Royals teams in Idaho Falls, and I can tell you, meeting guys like Alex Zumwalt and others that work under Dayton Moore, JJ Piccolo, that this is an organization that cares so much about developing players and the model in Kansas City because it is a smaller market is that you have to be able to develop from within to compete later. I have been so impressed with how the Royals have drafted and developed, and not to mention that they've got two young guys in their rotation in Brady Singer and Chris Bubich that were drafted less than three years ago, but you're also going to be seeing guys like Daniel Lynch, Jackson Kowar, Alec Marsh at some point in time. What does it say about Dayton Moore that he is committed to this plan of continually developing from within? I think that he's doing what you have to do in a small market. I think you're seeing him adjust. I mean, his first group of guys who won a World Series and went to two of them was all about position players. I mean, it was Hosmer, it was Moose. I mean, it was trading uh, away Zach Grinke to get Low Kane and, and Alcides Escobar. And it focused on building the best nine that you can build. And now he realizes, okay, well, we can't, bank on winning with Jeremy Guthrie's and Jason Vargas's the, 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 the pitching is a premium in baseball now and Kansas city will not be able to get average you know, or above average arms in the free agency market. They're going to get priced out every time. And so if you want those Zach Grinkies, if you want those aces, you've got to either trade for them or you've got to draft them. Well, if I trade for them, it's probably going to be a, a one or two year window. If I draft them, it's a six year window. Let's go ahead and load up on arms. And even if we find some holes in our lineup, you can easily supplement them the way that you did last year. Whenever you signed uh, Michael Franco, who was an, a really good bat for this Royals lineup, you can find Michael Franco. So you can't find Zach Grinkies. And so in Kansas city, you have to draft your pitching. And that has been a great deal for Kansas city. And you get six years of hopefully a couple of aces. I mean, I think that, all those guys, Lynch, Singer, Bubich, they all have a chance to be frontline guys, like one, two, threes. And that is something that Kansas City's never really had, at least in my lifetime. So that's really, really exciting. Before I get into specific players, Rylan, I want to go to a tweet that was put out by Nick Kappel, who is the Royals Manager of Communications and Broadcasting. He tweeted yesterday, yes, it's just spring training. And this was prior to the Royals game against the Mariners last night. 
But through 15 games, the Royals lead all 30 teams in wins, run differential, runs, runs a game, hits, total bases, homers, extra base hits, batting average, slugging percentage, and OPS. Now, again, I know it's all spring training, but from what you've watched, is this Royals team through the first 15 games of spring training something to get excited about in regards to what you can expect from their offense once opening day hits? Well, if they get to play in surprise Arizona, absolutely. I mean, obviously, Arizona always inflates inflates those hitters. Uh, But, you know, it's interesting because this lineup is what I've been calling just the all-time what-if lineup. It's the all-time bounce-back lineup where you could see every single guy in this lineup have a career year this year. You could also see every single guy kind of be their their below-average subs that they've been recently and not be a very good lineup. But if, you know, if – you look at this lineup, I think that the consistent part and what you know you're going to get from it is two, one bad, two good. I know I'm going to get a really good Whit Merrifield. I know he's going to be elite. I don't have to worry about Whit Merrifield ever again in his career. He's going to be elite. I know that Michael A. Taylor and Nicky Lopez are going to be well below average hitters. And if they aren't, that's a pleasant surprise, but that's what they're going to be. So that, that's three certainties. Every other player in this Royals lineup needs a bounce back, needs to kind of get back to their old self or has shown potential in the past or has shown you flashes and could possibly be good hitters. But you see how many qualifiers we're having to throw out here. So it's hard to take surprise Arizona and translate that to Coffin Stadium after spring training. Now, it's you'd rather have them hitting than not hitting, obviously, but it's hard to say that's who they're going to be. Now, they do have that chance, though, because what if Benatendi bounces back? What if Mondesi puts together a season that we've all been waiting for, where he is a consistent hitter the entire time and not just a hot stretch on the last month of every year where we go into the offseason and say, okay, it's next year's the year's going to be great. Well, if he can only do it for one month a year, that's probably never going to happen. Carlos Santana needs to bounce back, but he can add some legitimacy to this lineup with his base on balls ability, a team in Kansas City that has struggled walking for 20 years. Salvador Perez was a red-hot hitter last year. I, I don't think he'll be that. I don't think he'll be like this incredible best hitter in baseball like he was last year, but he can be a very good hitter. And then here it goes again with the volatile hitters, Jorge Soler. Soler can hit you 40 home runs. He can also hit you 12. So like, what are you going to get from Soler? Because if he's not hitting home runs, he's not doing much else. And then Hunter Dozier bouncing back from the COVID season. He's got locked up. He's, he's got that extension. He can have that nice bounce back. And so this lineup on paper, you can go either way with it. You can really try to dissect it and be negative about it. Or you can really look at it and be really overwhelmingly positive and call it a 7 as a seven deep lineup. I think that those top seven hitters, they can all have hitting potential to be an upper echelon hitter. And therefore as a collection of talent, be a really good lineup. So it's interesting, but nothing is certain. And, and being in surprise, Arizona, where guys like Ryan O'Hearn and, and Peter O'Brien have, have done been amazing in, in mashing home runs in their careers in surprise, Arizona does not solidify much of anything to me, but yes, you'd rather have them hitting than not hitting. You hit on one guy that I didn't expect I was going to start with today, but I do want to talk about him because I think it's important for him in the long term. With Bobby Witt Jr. in the organization, there is an assumption that based on how he is performing in spring training, that this will be your franchise shortstop at some point in the next two to three years. I think it's unreasonable for people to think that because he's hit a couple of home runs in spring training, that a guy that... I don't think he's hit 21 yet is going to be the Royals opening opening day shortstop having one real season of minor league baseball. And the reason why I preface it with that is I bring it to Adalberto Mondesi 
because Mondesi is somebody that I felt like could have been your franchise shortstop. But like you said, he hasn't been consistent. He's hovered around 250. He has hot stretches for times at a time. He obviously can steal you bags like nobody's business. He stole 24 bases in 59 games in a COVID-shortened season. He'll be an unrestricted free agent after the 2023 season. So what kind of decision does the Royals organization have to make on Mondesi, given what they expect in their future development from Bobby Witt Jr.? Yeah, I mean, Bobby Witt Jr., if he, if he gets called up and is on my opening day roster and he'll be on the major league roster, he makes that bats, he will not turn 21 until June 14th. And he's only played in the Arizona Fall League. And then whatever you count the alternate site last year as. That's it for Bobby Wood Jr. He's been incredible. He's been awesome. We'll see what happens moving forward with him. I think that Bobby Wood Jr. can be the best player in Kansas City, this side of George Brett, and, and be the best player that people like me have ever seen. I'm 23 years old. I didn't get to watch George Brett. So for me, Bobby Wood Jr. represents the best player that I've ever seen wear a Kansas City Royals uniform if he pans out the way he, sh- he is supposed to or projected to. With Mondesi... This is his year. He, he's got to do something this year. He's got to prove something this year, good or bad. Like Whatever happens this year, you have to take it for what it is because we'll have a large enough sample size of him being bad to say he's not very good. He's an elite hitter. But, I mean, he's an elite fielder, I should say, but a terrible hitter. And so whenever you average that out, he's an average ball player and not worth blocking possibly a transcendent star in Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, and then if he has a really good year, then one of those two can be flexible. You can put Bobby Witt at at third base or second base and or Mondesi at third base or second base, whatever the case may be. But Mondesi is going to always be the apple of the eye Royals fans. He's the, he's going to be a prospect until he's 30 years old. They're going to say that he has superstar potential. So he's 30 years old. And that's just the way it's going to be because Mondesi was that first guy who had that much praise since Eric Cosmer. And he was that first guy. He made his debut in the world series. And there's just so much attached to Mondesi for me. I am just hoping in my expectation level for him to be a part of the future and him to be him to be a part of that cornerstone shortstop is not too much to ask for him. I want him to be a below average hitter, just be a simply below average hitter for an entire season. Do not give me this disaster at the plate, April through you know July. And then September, you're really good. No, just give me below average the entire time. That way you're below average hitting is met with your elite fielding. And then that averages out to an to an average or above average or good player. I'll take that 10 times out of 10 from Mondesi. So I think that this year puts a ton of pressure on him. Because it's not just by what junior, they also have Nick Lofton, who they really like that they drafted last year. And I'm not going to say that Nick Lofton is already better than Mondesi, but he is a younger shortstop who they invested in and got out of college and got in last year's draft whenever picks were a premium. And so it seems like they're trying to phase out Mondesi if he cannot catch on, but the organization really does love him and they're hoping that he pans out. So if he does pan out, both guys are versatile. Bobby Wood Jr. can play third. He can play second and you go from there. Let me give a shout out to my guy, Clay Dungan, because Clay Dungan was on my Idaho Falls team in 2019. And while he's on the older side, he got a non-roster invite having one season of short ball and being a senior sign, making $2,000 coming out of Indiana state. He's never going to be a star for you, but that's also a guy that can play a bunch of different positions. I just had to throw in my guy, Clay Duncan. I don't know how he's been doing this spring. I assume he's probably been reassigned to minor league camp at this point, but I think the Royals have options. That's, that's the whole point of the discussion is the Royals have options at that position and they can move on from Adalberto Mondesi if need be. Yeah, they, they have a lot of options. And if, if they're serious about winning, then they won't 
then they won't just keep propping him up there if he has another terrible year. Because it, it all signs are pointing to 2022 is the year that they're going to truly go for this and truly try to win a championship and try to have a season where you go into it and everyone picks them for the playoffs. And to do that, if Montessi's going to do what he's done his whole career, he cannot be your, your shortstop. It'd be Bobby Witt Jr. It'd be somebody else. We are here with Ryland Styles of the Lockdown Royals podcast, previewing the 2021 Kansas City Royals. You mentioned it a little bit earlier, Ryland, but there is a lot of question marks in regards to this starting outfield. If you assume that the starting outfield is Benintendi, Michael A. Taylor, and Jorge Soler. Edward Olivares was a big part of the trade that sent Trevor Rosenthal to San Diego. And I know that he struggled when he was up in the big leagues with San Diego during the COVID shortened season, but I feel like he is definitely going to be a part of this organization. How do you see the starting outfield shaking out and what changes do you see being made in and out of at least the corner spots through the start of this season? Cause I'll just say this. I don't follow the Royals closely enough to say whether or not I see Whit Merrifield playing more in the infield or the outfield, but uh, it seems like this is the outfield or rather this is the position group that has the most question marks. Yeah. So I think that with Edward, I would have loved to see him make this team. I think that he was one of the best hitters last year in Kansas city. After that trade, he struggled in, in San Diego for sure, but he was really good in Kansas city. But with the signing of Gerard Dyson, they have sent him down already. He's not going to be uh, on this roster unless an injury happens, which in a one sixty-two game season, somebody's bound to have something go wrong where they need to call up another guy. And he's going to be the first outfielder in line. I think that the outfield every day will have wit and right and Benny in left. And then at center field, you have Michael A. Taylor, or draw Dyson roaming around. And from the majority of it will be Michael A. Taylor. And so that's your outfields pretty much kind of locked in. Cause they do really like Nikki Lopez at second base. And then if you do call up Bobby Witt jr. You're not going to bench Mondesi this year. You need to give him at bats to show who he is and you're not going to bench Hunter Dozier and you're not going to put Bobby Witt jr. At first. So therefore you can really only play second. And so that's another reason why Whitmerfield is going to stay out in the outfield where he's been these last couple of years. I think that this outfield is again, much like this lineup to where I know what I'm going to get from Witt. He's going to do solid enough defense. He's not going to go glove out there, but he's going to be solid out there. And then at the plate, he'll be elite. Andrew Benatendi, I think will be really good in this outfield. You put him with Rusty Coons. You put him with this developmental staff. They've developed some really good outfielders. You put him in there, you give him the, the wide open spaces and Kaufman, he'll be good to go out in the field. But at the plate, will he be these last handful of at-bats from Boston Benatendi or rookie year Benatendi or somewhere in between there. I think that his, I think that the stadium at Kaufman plays to Benatendi's strengths, and so he can have a much better year. But, of course, that's not certain. And then Michael A. Taylor, I know that he'll be an elite fielder. But like I said, if you're an elite fielder but just an abysmal at-bat every single time and you're automatic out, you average out to being an average player – and are we really going to send down Edward Olivares or, or Kyle Isbell or any of these other young outfielders for an average player, even if they're elite in the field? But that's kind of Kansas City's MO. They've prioritized defense over everything. And that's why you have black holes in your lineup right now, like Michael A. Taylor and Nicky Lopez. But both guys have some upside, especially Nicky Lopez, to turn that around the plate. We're here with Ryland Styles of the Lockdown Royals podcast, previewing the 2021 Kansas City Royals. I want to move to the catching position now because I think that this is a really fascinating turn of the franchise moving past this year. This is the final year of Salvador Perez's five-year contract that he signed prior to the 2017 season. He is one of the most beloved players in the history of the franchise. 
He had a great year last year after missing all of 2019 due to injury. I know that Royals fans are really excited about what eventually, eventually Maybreeze Valoria will bring to the organization. But I think it's an interesting proposition if the Royals are competitive this year. Do you bring back Perez for a few more years or do you move on because of his age and potentially his price tag? What are you hearing or feeling about what the Royals are going to do with Salvador moving forward? Yeah, you know, it's hard to imagine a world where Salvador Perez is not in Kansas City and not playing in Kansas City. And I think that this is a good case study for what's going to happen moving forward. I mean, I think that, you know, Kansas City at times has not been cutthroat enough, has not been, you know, Tampa Bay Rays like enough. Now, don't, you don't have to go to that extreme that the Rays do, but you do eventually have to make tough decisions on these on these lovable guys. And, and eventually you have to prioritize what helps this team win long term or what helps this team win right now versus what feels the best. Case in point is Gerard Dyson. Gerard Dyson feels the best. It's a it's a great it's a great picture of old times and championships. Gerard Dyson was a huge part of that championship off the field, where he's you know saying that's what speed do as a rallying cry for this team. He's doing the room room after he steals a base, then Billy Butler does it too. He's doing all those antics. He's doing all that for you, and and that was a staple of years past. But in the year 2021. Is Gerard Dyson an upgrade from a guy like Edward Lavieras or Kyle Isbell? I, I, I don't think so at all. But he has that emotional tie, and Kansas City always leans that way more so than other teams. And so with that, I think that no matter what happens, I think that Salvador Perez will be in Kansas City no matter what, what the year he has because Kansas City will lean towards that emotional appeal of it and that, and that kind of emotional attachment to their players, which they always do and they always have. I mean, only times or, you know, guys like Eric Cosmer who just get absolutely overpaid and priced out for you're not going to go that far. Kansas City can't just throw around $100 million like, like the Padres could that summer or seemingly every summer the Padres can. So I think that that's kind of where Kansas City's at. They're going to keep Perez because of that emotional appeal. And he might have a fantastic season, just like he did last year. Who knows? But I think that I, would, I would be hard-pressed to see a world in which Salvador Perez is not on this team in some capacity. The Royals brought in Carlos Santana on what seemed like a very aggressive two-year, $17.5 million contract. This is somebody that is consistently a 20-plus homer guy when he's healthy. He was healthy all of last year, and he hit below 200, and he had only eight home runs. Are the Royals banking on him being the Carlos Santana of years past? Because at age 34, it's hard to imagine that he's going to return to what he was five years ago. Yeah, I mean, Dayton Moore's been consistent in saying that he is going to throw out 2020 for everybody and that it was a wild, crazy year and that he's going to look at the bigger picture, the bigger bodies of work than just 2020. And I agree with that sentiment for a lot of guys like Hunter Dozier's one where I think that you just throw out 2020. He contracted COVID. He mentioned that he had a ton of you know, symptoms and effects that, that impacted him all the way through the end of the year and all the way through the off season, even until he got back to hundred percent. He's a guy where you throw out that regression year for, for Dozier to me, but with Santana, it could be a mix of the COVID. It could be a mix of the COVID season where there's so much stressors and so many things impacting your year. It could also be an effect of, look, you're 34 years old. You're going to decline at some point. So balancing which it is and balancing how much of what it is, like how much of it was COVID, how much of it was regression is still up in the air. I think that he's banking on the fact that he's going to have a bounce back. He's believing in Santana and it's a two-year deal for 
an aging first baseman who can at least get on base a little bit. I mean, you can at least get on base for what the Royals want. And again, the Royals have been a disaster at drawing walks. And I think that we can all agree that Santana will at least do that. And so drawing walks, getting on base, and at least setting the table for a guy like Corey Soler to come hit a home run, hopefully, or Salvador Perez would be really valuable for Kansas City, especially considering their first base options. Would you rather have or bank on Carlos Santana bouncing back or would you rather throw out Ryan O'Hearn or Ryan McBroom again? I think that you'd rather bank on Carlos Santana bouncing back, at least on the kind of cheap-ish two-year deal that you got him on. Now I want to move on to the pitching, and we're here with Ryland Styles of the Lockdown Royals podcast previewing the 2021 Kansas City Royals. I was impressed with this rotation last year, and you've got vets like Brad Keller and Danny Duffy at this point that can lead the charge as your number one and your number two guys, and I know it's weird to talk about Brad Keller as a vet, but this is a Rule 5 pick that has turned out to be one of the best Rule 5 picks of the last four to five years for any organization. I feel like Brady Singer is pretty much locked into this rotation because of his draft status and because of how he performed at his best last year. The rest of the rotation to me seems very interesting, and the reason why I bring that up is this. They brought back Mike Miner on a two-year deal, but the only year in his major league career that Mike Miner was exclusively a reliever was his 2017 season in Kansas City. Now, I know you don't pay a guy two years and $18 million to be a reliever, but there's the possibility based on the track record of what he was in a Royals uniform, that that's what minor could be. And he has not been what he once was over the past couple of years. So I guess the question to you is how do you see this Royals rotation shaking out with so many different options, like a Jake Junis, a Jesse Hahn, uh, potentially a Kowar or a Lynch coming up. This seems like a rotation that, could be interchangeable throughout the course of the year. Yeah, so I think that with this rotation, it's one of the most interesting things to talk about in baseball, at least for at least for the Royals, at least, if not all baseball, because there are so many variables to it. I think that it starts out opening day the way that you would traditionally see it, where it'd be Singer, Bubich, Keller. I think that all year, those three are locks because those are your young prized arms. You want to get them more experienced. And for Keller, he's been as steady as they come. So he's kind of the ace of this staff and he is the ace of this staff. So those three, I think are locks. Now, what becomes interesting here is that Mike Miner and Danny Duffy, in my opinion, have only had success and have, and have had their most success, especially Duffy in the bullpen. Duffy has never been a good starter. He's never been a consistent starter. He's never been worth anything as a starter. He'll have one game in Tampa where he strikes out 15. And then other than that, he'll give up five runs a game or whatever the case is, four runs a game. And so I think that with Duffy, the hope for me at least is that they'll start, it'll be the rotation of Keller, Singer, Bubich, Minor, Duffy. And then as the minor league season progresses, as Daniel Lynch and these other arms get experience and get ready, they'll be major league ready by about you know, June or so. And you call up Lynch, you kick Duffy to the bullpen, his final year of his, of his deal. And he's in your bullpen. He's the same effective bullpen arm that he was, or you even trade him on that final year of his deal. He's that same effective bullpen arm that he was uh, way back in your, in your playoff runs. And it improves your bullpen and it improves your starting rotation. Because I do think that even as a rookie, Daniel Lynch will be a better starting pitcher than Danny Duffy. And then you still have those other arms as well. But I think that Daniel Lynch is the most kind of MLB ready of this crop of guys. And so anytime you can kick the Duffy to the bullpen, it's a great thing in my opinion. 
And then Mike Miner, I think it'll be a starter for most, if not all the year, depending on if a young arm can come up alongside Daniel Lynch. I just look at this Kansas City organizational depth in regards to the starting rotation and feel like they're going to have to make a decision moving forward on what guys are going to be the guys moving forward. But I feel like also, based on where you drafted them and all of the praise that they've been given, that at some point, this rotation is going to end up being, it may not be this year, it might be two years down the road after Mike Miner's deal is up, it's going to be a rotation of Singer, Keller, Bubich, Lynch, and Kowar. Like, that is what I feel like the Royals want to have happen. And then you also have other guys like Alec Marsh who could potentially be swing men in the rotation and in the bullpen. Is that the long-term objective you think for Dayton Moore is to have all of these guys that were drafted in the 17, 18, 19 drafts to be the rotation for years to come? Yeah, I think that's why he took so many pitchers because there are so many different options. I mean, you could have a, a rotation of Keller, Bubich, Singer, Lynch, Asa Lacey, who we drafted last year of A&M, and who's going to be, as a college guy and a college arm, he's going to be ready a lot sooner than most guys. And so I think that a couple minor league seasons and Asa Lacey could be up in the big leagues. They've already toyed with Jackson Coart in the bullpen some. I think that he would be the most likely to get that conversion over to the bullpen arm uh, of all these guys to where you move Coart, who's a really good pitcher, into the bullpen. That strengthens your bullpen. And then, again, you still have those five guys we just mentioned – Plus, not to mention a guy like Austin Cox or or Marsh or any of these other young arms that they still have in reserve if one of those five guys don't pan out. Because not everyone can pan out in the big leagues. It's just the way it is. You're going to have Luke Hochavers. You're going to have Kyle Davies. You're, you're going to need some more depth, and they have that. They have insurance for if whoever your five favorite are, if one of them doesn't pan out, then they have insurance for that guy. And that's a great thing for Kansas City because, again, pitching's a premium, and Kansas City cannot go get – these ace top line guys and top arms in this small market. So the Royals did something really interesting in regards to their bullpen. And that is bringing back Greg Holland, who was a part of this organization last year. And I think that Holland had a revival from the disaster that he was in Washington and uh, rather not in Washington. I should say he was great in Washington, the disaster that he was in St. Louis and in Arizona but they also brought back Wade Davis, who was terrible in the last few years that he was in Colorado. Yet despite that, I feel like it is safe to say that the Royals' closer moving into this season, given they traded away their closer from last year in Trevor Rosenthal, is more than likely going to be Josh Stolmont. I may not be correct in that assumption, but who is the Royals' closer going to be moving into 2021? Yeah, that's the good thing about this bullpen is that it has a lot of flexibility. Now, for me, I think it should be Josh, but you can also make the case for Scott Barlow, who had a really good year last year. You can also say that Greg Holland has, has taken on that responsibility uh, both in his entire career and in Kansas City uh, recently and in years past. Uh, so this bullpen is interesting. Again, what do you know for sure? Like, are we sure that Greg Holland's not going to regress here? Are, are we sure that last year was not a flash in the pan? Are we sure that Scott Barlow was not a flash in the pan last year? Uh, can Josh Stelmont continue and build on the success he's had? I think that Josh Stelmont's the kind of most consistent piece. Kyle Zimmer had a big breakout last year in the bullpen before getting hurt. Can he keep that up? And then you're relying on Jesse Hans and Richard Loveladies and Jacob Junis is in there in that bullpen to go along with a Wade Davis, like you mentioned, who 
again, is that emotional player who was that just cyborg, just robot closer for Kansas City to win them a championship. And Brad Brock, like this this bullpen, it, it was patchwork last year and got the job done. Can they do it again? And I think that you're seeing kind of that hubris of the Royals of, okay, well, we turned Greg Holland around last year. We turned Trevor Rosenthal around last year. We can do it again with Wade Davis and Brad Brock. And maybe they can. I'm, I'm not saying that they can't, but eventually you're going to miss on one of these guys. And I think that it will happen this year with one of Wade Davis or Brad Brock. But the plus side for Kansas City is, then you call up Tyler Zuber again. And Tyler Zuber had moments last year where he was really good as a young pitcher out of that bullpen. You still have some guys uh, in the reserve, so to say, of your of your minor leagues to move to that bullpen. And then, like we mentioned earlier, if you call up a Daniel Lynch who's knocking on the door of Major League Baseball, if you call him up, then you can kick Duffy or, or somebody in that rotation to the bullpen, Duffy or minor, to improve your bullpen that way internally. So I think this bullpen's fun. I think that they have some options, but... I would trust Josh in big spots for this bullpen more so than anyone else. We're here with Ryland Styles of the Lockdown Royals podcast. A couple more questions for you, Ryland. Which one of the non-roster invitees do you think has the best chance of making the big league roster this year? I know you brought up Brad Brock. He is technically a non-roster invitee, but they have a lot of guys that they invited to spring training that have major league experience. I don't know what to make of urban Santana at this point. Uh, I'm looking at Bubba Starling as somebody that was once the darling of the Royals organization that is hanging on for dear life. Hanser Alberto was a minor league signee after having a great season in Baltimore last year, which one of these non-roster invitees do you think has the best chance to make the roster and stick around the entire year? You hit it right there. It's Hanser Alberto with the caveat of Bobby Witt Jr. getting sent down. If you if you believe that they're going to send down Bobby Witt Jr. and Bobby Witt Jr. is not going to just be this fast rising Phoenix that's going to escape all levels of minor league baseball outside of the Arizona Fall League. He didn't play in college. He's going to be this 20-year-old phenom. If you do not think that that's going to happen and you think that Bobby Witt Jr. will start in low A or double A, wherever they're going to start him at, then it's going to be Alberto because you're going to platoon him with Nicky Lopez, and at least on some days, you're going to get a solid bat in that lineup and not have Nicky Lopez out there. I think that he's the, the almost lock, again, if you don't bring up Bobby Witt Jr. right now. And then past that, I think Wade Davis is going to make this team. I think he's going to be in that bullpen to start the year, and then they'll move on from there. I think that those two are the kind of biggest locks for this Royals club. Final question here for you, Rylan. I feel like the Royals have a chance to compete, but the AL Central is very strong. People are talking about the White Sox as a team that could win the division and be potentially the best team in the American League. The Twins are still good. They've regressed, but they're still good. And despite the fact that they've traded away every significant piece of their organization, somehow Cleveland will still be competitive because they always have somebody else lined up in the minor leagues that can come in, take a spot, and be productive. What is the Royal ceiling for this year? And what is their floor? So I think that you're right with the division. I mean, it, it's, it's harder than people give it credit for, because you do have to respect Cleveland still. And then you have Minnesota and Chicago, who it seems like every national expert takes their turn of picking which one they love more. And then you do get the benefit though, uh, of playing Detroit and you get the benefit of playing the NL central, which I don't think is particularly strong. I think best case scenario is that, th that this team's a wild card team and that would take literally everything going perfectly. It would take contract year Danny Duffy, just 
throwing gym after gym and being better than he's ever been in his career. It would take Andrew Benatendi looking like his rookie year again. It would take Montessi being consistent. It would take Santana's bounce back. It would take Perez looking closer to last year's shortened 60-game season. It would take Soler being the home run champion again. It would take Dozier being that all-star cower player again. And then it would take some progression from Nicky Lopez and Michael A. Taylor, as well as we mentioned, the bullpen that's very volatile, all duplicating their last year's success. Greg Holland cannot regress. Scott Barlow cannot regress. Josh Stallmont even takes a step up from that. If all that happened, then this team is a wildcard team. Now, how often in baseball does all of that happen at the exact same time and, and all come together and band together at the right time where everyone's playing their best baseball at once and nobody's having this off stretch whenever everyone else is, is going off? It happened in Kansas City for two years where you did not have a lineup of world beaters, but you had a lineup that played together and a lineup that clicked at the same time with each other. That, that lineup did not have a ton of guys that you just were begging to get on other baseball teams. It had a lot of guys who would pass the, the keep the line moving, pass the baton, all that fun stuff. So this team has the ability to be a wildcard team, but it's highly unlikely that they're all going to hit at the same time. The floor is being like a fourth place, almost fifth place team, depending on how Detroit progresses in their rebuild. Because just as we all said that that can go right for them, but attendee could look bad again. And, and we could see that that rookie year was a flash in the pan. And it was not just, you know, and it was not just injuries or 2020 that hurt Benatendi. Mondesi can be Mondesi that he's been his whole career, which is probably more likely than not. Santana can show that last year was not 2020. It was a regression year and he continues to regress. Soto Perez can regress. Jorge Soler can hit 10 home runs and be just a albatross at the plate. Hunter Dozier, you know, whatever he can turn into. Again, he's only had one good year in his entire MLB career. So it's not to say that he's some consistent guy. And then Duffy's got a pencil him in to be bad. Mike Miner can be bad. And then you have two young guys in Brad Keller who are going to be kind of volatile because they're still young. They have not had a ton of service time and not have a ton of opportunities in baseball their first year this year pitching with crowds in the stands of a major league baseball game. And then again, that bullpen has a ton of guys that can bounce, that can uh, kind of regress. So the ceiling is a wild card team. The floor is fifth place. And I hope that they level off in between there. I think that the Royals are going to be one of the more exciting teams in baseball to watch this year and next year, because I feel like by 2023, they should be competing for an AL Central title every year based on what they've built up and what their organization is going to become. So, Rylan, I think it's a really exciting time in Kansas City. Even if they don't make the playoffs this year, I think that there's a lot of positives that we can take from a lot of these young guys moving into this year. Before I let you go, uh, let everybody know where they can follow you, where they can find you, and how they can subscribe to the work that you do. Yeah, I think that this year will be fun for Kansas City, so follow along. My biggest hope for Kansas City is that they'll be playing relevant baseball whenever Patrick Mahomes steps on the on the training camp field. That way the attention does not go all the way over the Chiefs as soon as training camp starts. Uh, but you can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. You can subscribe to Locked on uh, Thunder or Locked on Royals uh, to get a daily podcast about each team. And with the Royals will be fun, so follow along at Locked on Royals. Rylan, thank you again for your time, man. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. That was Rylan Styles of the Lockdown Royals podcast previewing the 2021 Kansas City Royals. Boy, I really can't speak today. Tomorrow, at least as of right now, we are planning to do a Giants preview. John Curley from 95.7 The Game's Morning Roast is coming here in person to the Ocean Avenue Studios to do a recording. It's going to be our first in-person preview that we've ever done. 
I hope that John remembers to check his phone and remembers the address to my house. Have a great day, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow.